seated. And as you are, let's pray. Father God, we do pray again that uh, the words in my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts may be pleasing and acceptable to you. Would you show yourself this morning in your word to be good uh, and sufficient for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I am not Bill, and so I will not be doing Bill's passage, so you can ignore that uh, in your bulletin. So instead, we will be in Psalm 84, uh, the 84th Psalm, and let's read that together. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. and No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So Psalm 84 is a psalm of ascent. Uh, It's a psalm to be sung on the way up to Jerusalem, uh, usually their annual pilgrimage for the Israelites. So this is a song along the way. And it can be split up for us this morning into four questions, and I'll give them to you as we go along. And the first question is the easiest one, or at least the simplest one. It comes out of verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And the first question is simply, what do we want? What is the goal of this journey? What is the goal of this pilgrimage? The writer here has set two goals for himself. First, he wants to be in the presence of God now, where the loveliness is. And second, he wants to arrive together with all of the people into Zion. That's what the New Testament will later call the new heavens and the new earth. And so everything that happens in Psalm 84 is is a vine that grows out of these two desires to be in the presence of God, and to arrive together in Zion. And so he's playing on two levels here, the the physical journey of all the Israelites up to the temple and the spiritual journey that we are all on to Zion. Um, And so from the text, why, why seek the house of God at all? Well, he gives three answers. Because it is lovely, because those who dwell there are blessed, and because God is there. And so already, I don't know about you, but I can't get more than two verses into this psalm uh, without confronting this sharp contrast between 
what he desires and what I desire. And how many of us can say that our souls long and even faint for the courts of the Lord? And sure, we long for things, but do we long for those things? And do we desire them as sharply as he does? See, the psalmist has painted a picture of what the good life is. For him, the good life is moving toward Zion, surrounded by the company of other pilgrims and praising God along the way. And I wonder for us already, is that how we picture the good life? Or is our good life a little bit more watered down? Is it more about wealth or reputation or the pleasures that we can have or achievements or meeting goals that we set for ourselves? Because if our good life is no different than our neighbor's, we'll have a hard time surviving the valleys that are coming in verse 6, and we'll have a hard time bearing witness to the truth. We move into the second section, and we get another question uh, in verses 3 and 4. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And the question for us here is, what kind of God is this? Is God the kind of God that we can trust with the vulnerable things? Can they be safe in the house of God? And see, the psalmist here has found the most vulnerable thing he can think of. Not just a sparrow, but a baby sparrow. And he's asking the question, can this be safe in the house of God? And this morning, I want us to think by contrast. I want us to think about Israel's neighbors. Remember that Israel uh, was always surrounded on each side. You've got Egypt to the west. You've got Babylon and Assyria to the east. You've got the Hittites uh, and the Amorites and more up to the north. And then to the south, you've got the Moabites uh, and the Edomites. And I want to take just a closer look at Moab to draw a contrast between the kind of God of Israel and the gods of their neighbors. And you may rightly say that, that this is an anti-Moabite message this morning because we are going to pick on them quite a bit for good reason. So let's take a closer look at Moab, uh, one of the southern neighbors of Israel. As a contrast to Israel, Moab's chief god was called Chemos, and he was an underworld god pictured uh, as a gigantic bird of prey. And, and among other things, he represented victory over chaos and the origin of humanity. But it was a brutal, horrible vision of humanity that he brought supposedly into existence. See, to keep the balance of life and death, this god of the Moabites demanded human food. So regularly they practiced human sacrifice. And you can see this even in scripture. Uh, if you are interested in 2 Kings 3, we see that the king of Moab sacrificed his son to stop a siege unsuccessfully. And this is just one of the creation stories that Israel was always bumping up against, uh, always surrounded by. And it reveals the character of how their neighbors lived their lives and how they worshipped their gods. See, without exception, Israel's neighbors believed that the universe was either made by accident, sometimes, or by conflict, 
most of the time. And so for them, any gods that might exist were simply the biggest ones. They were the ones that were able to do battle with the smaller ones uh, and pull water out of the land and then put humanity on there to serve their purposes. And so the purpose of humans for Israel's neighbors was either as slaves or messengers or simply food. And the question has to be asked for Israel. It was a live question for them as they bumped shoulders with their neighbors. Is our God any different? Can it truly be said that the God of Israel is a good God? Can God be trusted to care for us in our suffering? Can God be trusted with the vulnerable things in our lives? And when we go to the house of God, should we expect the same brutality that exists in the temples of our neighbors? And I hope we know that the cumulative answer of the Psalms is, is yes, it's different. Our God is different. He blesses Israel. But instead of the Psalms, I, I want to look at a different place. I want, I want to go to Numbers in chapter 24. And as you turn there, I'll catch us up. Because this, this is the Balaam passage. So the, the kids should know this one. Uh, very well. It, and buried in the story of Balaam, I think, is, is the answer to our question. And it involves, again, the Moabites. And so you remember the story of Balaam. Balaam is this famous prophet for hire. Uh, he's gained a reputation for being able to prophesy battles. At that time, uh, the pagan kings around Israel believed that if you could hire a prophet to foretell the details of the battle, uh, that this would sort of stroke the ego of the gods to your side. And so by knowing the details, your battle would go better. And so the king of Moab at that time, Balak, hired Balaam and said, look, I'm going to pay you uh, a large sum of money if you prophesy good things for Moab and bad things against Israel. And so Balaam agrees and takes the money uh, and is, is ready to go make these prophecies uh, over the battle. But then we know what happened. He's riding along on this donkey, and uh, the donkey gives him the boot and and God begins to speak to him through this donkey and what God says is you think you're going to say bad things about Israel and good things about Moab but I'm going to make it so that you prophesy good things about Israel and bad things about Moab and, and you won't be able to help it and so this comes to pass and a couple times he in in uh, numbers 22 and 23 he gives these wonderful speeches about Israel uh, and after the second time King Balak uh, the Moabite king says, I am not getting a return on my investment. Uh, what are you doing? And, and yells at him. And so at this point, by the time we reach chapter 24, Balaam is very confused. He doesn't know why it's not working out uh, like it's supposed to. So he's confused and moping and, and walking around. And we get to this verse in chapter 24, verse 1. And it says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel... He did not go, as at other times, to look for omens. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. What a contrast to the other gods. See what a God is available to us. He delights to bless us. He does not use us for food. He does not use us to complete something in himself. He does not use us for slaves. He delights in us. He delights to bless us. He didn't create us by accident. He withholds no good thing from us, as our psalm says. 
Balaam goes on to prophesy a little bit later in that chapter something that's very similar to our own psalm. He says, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and your encampments, O Israel. See, this pagan prophet, through the word of God in his mouth, understood something that we don't always understand so well ourselves, what we struggle to see, that God's people, even the most vulnerable of them, God's people can be blessed in God's house because this God loves his people. Let's sing a bit. Please please stand.
purest love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside His crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside His crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the I will sing, I will sing, while millions join the theme, I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. Eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on, and through eternity, I'll sing on. You may be seated. And let's continue on in Psalm 84, starting in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And the question for us here uh, in these set of verses is, how can we travel with the world the way that it is? How can we keep our feet moving with the world the the way that it is. I don't need to remind anyone the state of disrepair that the world is in. What kind of person can keep moving? The answer from Psalm 84 is only one that has set his heart on the end, who has the highway to Zion in his heart. See, we can move forward if we believe that all of history is linear uh, that it's pointing, that it's moving to a resolution in Christ. If we believe that the end of all things has been written, if we know that Zion is not a sham and that it is available to us in our good God, and if we aren't sure of this, if we aren't sure of the end, then we will live like the world is just a meaningless cycle. Or to quote Shakespeare's Macbeth, we will live like life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. And perhaps more importantly, if Zion is not in our hearts, we'll never survive the valleys in verse 6. Let's talk about those valleys. 
the Valley of Baca. Now, nerd out with me for a second. Uh, there are four possible meanings for this word, and, and no one's exactly sure what it means. They're all bad. All of them are bad. It's not a good place. Uh, it could be a valley of weeping. It could be a bloody battle site from Israel's history. It could be a place where Israel was rebuked harshly by an angel. Uh, or it could just be a valley that is so desolate that it only produces these tear-shaped Shrubs, Whichever one is the precise meaning, uh, and, and we can only guess, it's not good. It's a valley that represents sorrow and loss and grieving and suffering and even death. And these are unavoidable places of suffering in our lives. Notice it doesn't say if you pass through the valley. It says as they go through the valley. So in this way, these valleys are like Psalm 23. When God says, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He doesn't say, I will remove you from the presence of my enemies. What he says instead is, I will meet you there, and I will set a table for you to be refreshed in the presence of your enemies. And here in Psalm 84, he doesn't reroute us through these valleys, but he meets us here. And we can draw springs from these dry places because God is with us. And so we can't ask, or we can't read these verses without asking these practical questions. What is this valley? Which one, what is it for me right now? For most of us, 2020 has been a valley in and of itself. How will God meet us here? Is the hope of Zion and the presence of God in this valley enough for me? Is it enough to make it a place of strings? Can I be refreshed by God here? And also, can I be refreshed by the testimony of how God has met others here? And can I refresh others by my testimony? How can I, like verse 7 says, how can I move from strength to strength instead of from valley to valley? There's a couple things that strength to strength could mean. It could mean that God's people move from spring to spring fed and watered by the Lord. But more likely, uh, it means that they move from group of people to group of people, from congregation to congregation, uh, literally from company to company, encouraged by each other. And so we should see a picture here in verse 7 of countless groups on this journey to Zion, young and old, weak and strong, all kinds of personalities, Introverts and extroverts, though I imagine the introverts are traveling by themselves. These are pilgrims in the true sense, moving together. Because we share this story as pilgrims together. We assemble each week like we are today. We assemble each week to bear witness to this story of how God has been good and God has worked in our lives. And we do this for each other uh, and for a watching world. And so I can move from your strength to your strength, refreshed by your testimonies. And you can move from my strength to his strength, refreshed. And so in this way, we all sort of slingshot each other towards Zion as God meets us here. And our individual testimonies will be as different as our personalities and our circumstances. But our together story, the story of us together, is as pilgrims who are loved by a good God on our way to Zion. And we'll keep doing this until what? Well, until we arrive. 
until we arrive at Zion. That's the promise here. Until each one appears before God in Zion. God says we will arrive. He says we will not be destroyed by the beasts or the famine or killed by enemies in the desert on the way. No, we will move from strength to strength until we reach Zion where our names are written in the book of life. And when we get there, we'll be able to experience the presence of God in the house of God in a way that we've never have before. Lastly, in part four, starting in verse eight, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And the question for us in these verses is, who goes with us on this journey? What kind of God goes with us? Maybe he'll go with us. Is the help of God confined to the house of God? Is God a regional God who will only help once we've reached him? Does he park himself on the top of Jerusalem and only help us once we've arrived? And if we've read the scriptures, we know that that's not true. No, the presence of God is both our destination and also the daily reality on the way. That the Lord of hosts sees and the Lord of hosts helps in all the places that man can be. So God goes before us, he goes with us, and he also waits for us. This God, our sun and our shield, goes with us. Our light, our warmth, our protection. But not only that, as we said in verse 7, God's people go with us. Our company of strength go with us as we spur each other on, right? You all are my company of strength. We all together are a company of strength together as we walk. And, and if that's true, if all of this is true about God and about our story and about each other, then we can say things like verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. If it's true, then the lowest station in God's house, the doorkeeper station, is better than the highest station elsewhere. There's a 17th century British poet and preacher named William Secker, and he puts it like this. Happy are the, and I'll read it twice because it's that good. Happy are those persons whom God will use as brooms to sweep out the dust from his temple, or who shall tug at an oar in the boat where Christ and his church are embarked. I'll read it again. Happy are those persons whom God will use as brooms to sweep out the dust from his temple, or who shall tug at an oar in the boat where Christ and his church are embarked. If it's true that we'll arrive in Zion, we can take the lowest station. And lastly, so what? 
what, what does this matter? Well, I think there's two kinds of people that this helps today. For the lonely, you move from strength to strength. Bear each other's burdens and have your burdens borne by each other. Spur each other on toward righteousness. You walk together. For the discouraged, in verse 11, no good thing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold. Not even Christ, his son, who he gave up to be crucified on your behalf. He may not remove you from the valleys, but he will meet you there. I want to end with a translation of the German Psalter uh, for the final verses. Psalter is the Psalms put to music. Uh, this is a, a, the German version, but translated in English for us. And it's, it's from the last section. It goes like this. Own thou the Lord, thy son, thy shield. No good will he withhold. He giveth grace and soon shall be revealed glory yet untold. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, help us to see your goodness. Help us to give thanks as you heal the sick, as you bind up the broken, as you cheer the faint-hearted, and as you save the lost. Give us eyes to see who must be strengthened among us this week. And help us through the power of your spirit to obey and to keep watch with faith for your kingdom to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Together, let's stand and sing. My life flows on in endless song Above earth's lamentation I hear the sweet, the far off hymn That is a new creation through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though my joys and comforts die? The Lord my Savior liveth What though the darkness gather round Songs in the night He giveth No storm can shake my inmost calm While to that refuge clinging Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth how can I keep from singing? I lift my eyes, the tempest roars, all help from God expecting. Whose banner over us is love, until our souls perfecting. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. 
All things are mine since I am His. How can I keep from singing? Flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet, though far off, hymn that hails a new creation. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who all things so wondrously reigned, shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustained. Hast thou not seen how all thy longings have been granted in what he ordained? Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord, oh, let all that is in me adore Him. All that hath life and breath come now with praises before Him. Let the Amen sound from His people again. Let thee forever adore Him. Let the Amen sound from His people again. Let thee forever adore Him. Our benediction this morning is out of First Thessalonians 5. It is a blessing over us, so please receive it like that. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.